Welcome to Thrive Church Online. We are here to know God, to grow in Him, and go. We hope you feel encouraged and equipped through this week's message. Hey, does it? did anybody go to Children's Church? If you're a Children's Church goer, raise your hand. Okay. Does anybody remember this song? Remember when you were in there and they go, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man. Okay. And the rains came down. Yeah, y'all y'all failed children's church. Right there at the end. Right there at the end, you didn't get your candy. Anybody remember that in children's church when like they're like, hey, does anybody know the answer? See, I was the dumb kid in children's church. I didn't know anything about anything, and I really struggled with paying attention. So they'd be like, hey, can anybody tell us the point of today's lesson? Jesus, how do you not give a kid in children's church a piece of candy when they said Jesus? There were two answers that got you got you candy in children's church. One was Jesus, and the other one was sin. Anybody ever watch? Um, no, it's it's a true story. Anybody ever watch um, uh, Andy Griffith show? When Barney sleeps through the pastor's message, and he goes, the guy's talking about running around and being busy, and he's like, "Yeah, pastor, that was a great message. We could all learn more about sin." I feel like that guy sometimes. So anyway. Um, Matthew 7, uh, 24 uh, through 27, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Because here's what I think. We're in this series called Identity um, because I think that until you know who you are, you can never know what God's called you to do. Like if you don't have a strong sense of here's who I am and what I'm supposed to do. Here's the thing. What will end up happening is you'll go wrong along with everybody who's around you. Like, what gives you the strength to say no? I love that last song that we did. Can I just say this off jump? Everybody here is jacked up. I didn't get saved. I'm still being saved. Because I still have to drive on the interstate. I still have to go to Walmart. Or if you're old, it's the Walmarts. Because the place you go is actually plural. But what I, what I think is that if you don't know your identity, what you'll do is you'll allow your situation to morph you into it rather than morphing the situation to fit you. My wife and I have two totally different personalities. I thank God. Um, and that's not on her part. That's 100% on mine. So I walk into a room. This is no joke. I walk into a room like, how does everybody fit in with me? 100% accurate. Like, I just walk in a room and I'm like, here we go, right? Like, I, I'm going to have fun, and if you're really stuffy, my job is to make you mad. I already say something else. My job is to make you angry with my joy. Because your morning may last for the night you have to spend with me, but my joy, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just have fun. And so, But my wife walks into a room, and she's like, how do I fit in? How do I just blend and nobody pays any attention to me? Um at the Renaissance Festival, uh, all the lines that I stood in, I made friends. Like, we got done. We were in one line, and we got done. I'm like, hey, the people, it was the ATM line, because everything there was in cash. Somebody's not paying taxes. So anyway, um, 
And so the people in front of us would get done, and I'm like, hey, she was in the Air Force, and that was her daughter, and her daughter, and the other guy, the guy that was with them was their son, and they've been married two and a half years, isn't that sweet? And they just celebrate, and my wife's like, just stand in line. That's it, just stand, I'm like, no, it's an opportunity to make friends, or enemies, but I think without identity, what happens is every situation, good and bad, you will find yourself trying to morph into it rather than being light in dark places. God said that this, God said, man, I've called you to be light. I've called you to be light in darkness. I've called you to be hope for hopeless. Um, everybody's jacked up. Now, where Christianity gets it wrong is we want to look down our nose to people that need saving, forgetting that we're still being saved. The only thing that separates you is Jesus. And you didn't do anything to earn that. Nobody in this room went to the cross by themselves or to the cross at all. So the only thing that makes us right, makes us holy, is the fact that we accepted the love that we're now trying to give away. So Jesus talks, uh, beginning in Matthew 7, 24, and he says this. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built... Can we go back one slide? This would have been the greatest cliffhanger ever in church if they had not advanced the slide. Everybody who hears these words of mine, and can I just say this, the next line is super important, and does them. Because see, here's the thing, a lot of people, it's like, this is the thing that always drove, drove me batty about people not knowing who they were. People that come to church and then go to the restaurant and act like a jerk. You heard what he said. You just didn't do it. So like if we're really going to be Christ followers, there's this thing where we're like, not only do we have to hear what Jesus says, we have to begin to apply what Jesus says. I love this though. And then they will be... No, no, no. If they hadn't have advanced the slide, because they're, they're doing it for my benefit, because it's usually what I want. But can you imagine we'll be... We'll see you next week. Thank you for coming. It says, we'll be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So here's, here's where the cliffhanger gets fulfilled. God said this. He said, man, do you want to be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock? Can I be honest with you? I don't know. I don't really think about where houses are built. When was the last time you walked up to a house and said, so let me ask you a question. What's this built on? However, anybody ever watched one of those hurricane or flood videos where somebody's house just like this, like half a billion dollar house or whatever, just like falls into the water and you go, oh my gosh, I hope they've got insurance. I guarantee you at some point they went, <laughs> we built in the wrong place. Here's what I wonder. Does your life have to come crashing down before you figured out that you built it the wrong way? Like, do you have to have this catastrophic failure in your life before you really think about how much time you spent building your life from the ground up the right way. Because most of us don't think, can I be honest with you? Most of us don't have a problem with God. Most of us have a problem either with church or with ourselves. Like, man, I'm just trying to get through the day. Like, I would love to have time to sit like you, Pastor, and just think about the Lord all day. But I've got... I got stuff to do. Like, I'm trying to make a car payment. I'm trying not to kill my spouse. I'm right? I have to think about what I'm building my, build my life on. I'm trying to get through the day. But here's the thing. 
in March, we're doing a series on manhood. And one of the difference between men and boys, everybody says this, that when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. They want to say that for men never to have fun. First of all, if you're a dude, we're built to have fun. That's why when you buy your kids remote control cars, you play with them. Even after your kid starts crying, you're like, shut up. <laughs> not going to tell you how I know that, but I'm, I'm confident, right? So here's the thing. But, but men play the long game. We give the remote back knowing that at 8 o'clock they're going to bed and we got like four hours before we have to go to sleep. We can play with that car all day long, right? So, so what Jesus is really talking about in this thing is he said, man, a wise man builds his house on a rock. A wise man or woman builds their house on something that they know that when life gets crazy, the way they built themselves, the way that, that they, they've trained their mind and their heart and their spirit to think towards God and about themselves will stand up to all these turbulent times. Matter of fact, Scripture goes on and it says this. It said, And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew against the house and beat on that house. <laughs> Anybody ever been beat on? You ever had a week where you're like, the winds blew because my boss was yelling the whole freaking weekend. The rain came because my, my wife cried the entire week. I've been beat on. I've been ground up. I've been, and I don't feel like I can take anything else. I've talked to my wife and just been like, hey, look, I'm just letting you know I'm a critical mass. I've dealt with everybody's problems. I've, I've prayed to, a, I, I don't have anything to say anymore. I, we fought, we've, not us, but like we fought again. I mean, we do, don't, don't mishear that. But like, I just, I need an hour because I can't take anything else. But here's the thing, the problem with taking an hour is when you get done, the storm's still blowing. So really it has more to do, and I'm not, I'm not against taking breaks or even naps. I think both of those are God's gifts. But, but the problem is if the storm's still going on, what you're built on is going to be what gets you through. How you're, how you're from the ground up, like in your DNA, wired, is going to matter. The scripture said, but it did not fall because it had been founded on not A, but the rock. Anybody ever seen a house move? That is creepy, man. Like, especially like if it's a brick house. Like they come under and, and they slide the two like eye beams under and they go under. The, I don't know what they do. And they're like rigging stuff up. And the next thing you know, it's like, rah, rah, here we go. And the house is like riding down the road. And I'm like, one, what does that do to the house? Like, like does it screw it up? Does it, does it whatever? But have you ever seen a house that's been reset? I actually had an opportunity to walk through one, and it was gorgeous. They took like this 1950s house. They took it off its foundation. They moved it like five miles down the road. They planted it, and then this guy spent all this money redoing it, and it was amazing. It was probably one of the prettiest homes I've ever seen in my life. And in that moment, it dawned on me that if your life is built on the wrong foundation, you can move it. But it takes time. It takes some preparation, and it takes some investment. And so, Scripture says this in verse 26, and it says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, 
and the floods came, and the winds blew against the house and beat against the house, and it fell, and the and great was the fall of it. Here's what scripture is really saying: it says, Man, you're gonna go through winds and seasons no matter who you are. No matter whether you build you build your life on faith and on Christ or you build it on other things, you're gonna go through storms. Nobody, Jesus does not exempt you from storms. But what he does say is this, that if you stand on my word and on my principles and on the things that I teach, that you can go through those storms unscathed. But if you don't, great is the crash. Because when you build your life the wrong way, sooner or later, it may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow. It's kind of like people in California. It's not, is there going to be another earthquake? Just when? It's like, it's not even a question. Like, like, it's going to happen because you can play around the fire long enough, but sooner or later you're going to get burned. Have you ever watched somebody do something stupid and get away with it? And they think that it's a license to keep doing something stupid? And to, Anybody remember, what were the two brothers that did the Lions in Vegas? Siegfried and Roy. Yeah, now we know who sins and goes to Vegas. Um, so... So I'm just kidding. So Siegfried and Roy were playing with these lions, right? And they did the, all these things. And then one day, does anybody remember this? There was this big thing, like across the news. Can you believe it? Siegfried or Roy, I don't really know, got eaten by a lion. And I'm like, who did you shock? Like, no, like legitimately, who, like if you were surprised, you were the dumbest person in the room. Hey, do you know these guys were, we're playing with lions. Yeah. And you're surprised that one of them got eaten by a lion. Do anybody remember SeaWorld and the killer whale? SeaWorld trainer killed by killer whale. Did the killer part not give you a clue? Like, like I, I went to a seminary, and, and, and arguably it's not a real degree, right? Like we didn't take math or English. But I'm saying... I saw it coming. How come it is that sometimes it's easy to see some things coming in other people's lives, but it's so easy to miss them coming in your own? That you may not know that the thing is coming to kill you, but everybody else around you can see it. It's kind of like this, the girl who's super promiscuous or the guy who's super promiscuous, and then the next thing you know, they pop up with a kid or an STD or both. Can you believe this happened? Well, kind of can. Hey, you're a borderline alcoholic. Can you believe I got a DWI? You know, it's not a total shock. It's like you... Yeah, kind of can. Because here's the thing. How you build the foundation of your, your life ultimately depends on how you live it. And so if we're building identity, here's the thing. How we identify, if we if we choose to build our life on Jesus, it affects two things. It'll affect how we handle problems, but it'll also affect how we handle praise. See, some people are great with praise because everybody needs to be praised. Can I get a witness? We're built in the image and likeness of God. Why do we do like, like 30 minutes of praise and worship? Because God loves hearing how good He is. And He loves you recognizing how good He is in your life. Why do we sing about, about being a sinner and saved? Because you know what? you got to remember where you came from. 
Anybody ever ever get a little cloud or something? And your mom and daddy set you down and said, "Boy, girl, you remember where you came from. You you need to remember your roots. Don't get too big for your britches." See, all y'all are Southerners. You knew if you were from up north, it would be your pants. Britches sounds like more aggressive for somehow. So, so here's the thing: if you if you raise and and build your life around people's praise, you have to fall to their criticisms. In other words, if you let everybody else's opinion of you be how you build your life, it will crash down eventually. What do you, how do you how do you gain your value? How do you how do you understand who and what you are? See, here's what I believe. I believe that our identity has to be before anything else. And our identity has to be built on the fact that you are a son or a daughter of God. I had this epiphany one day that God will never call me pastor. I've never been like, hey, God, he's like, Pastor Adam. Do you know what God calls me? Son. And if I'm a son before I'm anything else, then I begin to build my identity. Or, or if you're a woman, if you're a daughter before you're anything else, think about the rights, the birthright that that gives you. Man, I'm a, I'm a son or a daughter of God. I'm created with a purpose and a destiny. So, like, I'm not better than anybody else, but doggone, I am as good as anybody else. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm tall or short or skinny or fat or somewhere in the middle or, 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 or really you feel like there's nothing special about you. Anybody remember? Man, I feel, I feel bad picking on people calling names. Well, let's talk about Chelsea Clinton for a minute. Anybody old enough? Chelsea thought she was the junk, didn't she? And what did she do? Nothing. You, you were a president's daughter. That's like your only claim to fame is that. Because it, when she talked, you just kind of went, shh. Anybody remember these days? And like all the time they had her like, they would shoot her like at parties, like smashed out of her mind. And then she'd be like, that wasn't me. But her identity was to the fact that she was a daughter of a president and she, she lived her life like it gave her certain rights that maybe she was or wasn't supposed to have. Here's what I wonder. I wonder if you really set your identity as being a son or daughter of God if you would live your life different because of your birthright. Scripture says this, one of my favorite stories out of the Bible, but it's Luke chapter 15, 11 through 19, and and it's the story of the prodigal son. And it reads this way. And there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property against them. Basically, this boy looked at his dad and said, Dad, I want to treat you like you're dead. I want what I got coming when you die. And I'm gonna, I, I'm, I, I want it now. And then I want to leave you, and I want to, I want to break our relationship with you. See, in a lot of us, can I be honest, I lived that life with God before I came to know Him. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted my inheritance. I just didn't want anything to do with God. I wanted to live however I wanted to live and do whatever I wanted to do, but then I wanted the benefit of being able to go to heaven. And here's what happened is He says, this he said, and not many days later, the younger son gathered 
all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property, uh, squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything he had and and there was a severe famine that came in the country, he began to be in need. Because here's the thing. Anytime you spend everything that you have in the wrong places, you always end up broke and broken. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And there he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. You ever got to the place where you're so hungry you wish you had something somebody else had? He said no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said that how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I perish with hunger. So I will rise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven uh, before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your sons. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the prodigal son goes back and what he's saying is, look, I'm, I, because of the choices that I've made, I'm not willing to be, I'm not worthy to be called your son or your daughter. Matter of fact, if you'll just make me like, like, like one of the folks you hire, I'll be happy. Here's the reality. A son without an identity will automatically make himself a slave or a servant. A son or daughter without identity will automatically make themselves less than what they're supposed to be. Because what they'll do is they'll judge their life on every mistake that they ever made rather than basing their life on the identity that they're a son or daughter of God. Because you can't live like a servant and be the son or daughter of a king. An improper view of our identity distorts the way we view our father. See, here's what we forget that you're a son or a daughter by birth, not by worth. You're a son or daughter by birth, not by worth. In other words, this. When you were yet sinners, Christ died for you so that He could adopt you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. So in other words, you can't be good enough for God, and you can't be too bad for God. When did your salvation get based on you other than you accepting Jesus and then trying to fit into the family? Can I just say something? Your family got all kinds of people in it. I got, I got three sisters. They're all older than me. Don't judge me. My older sister's got one personality. My middle sister's got a personality. And then there's Wendy. And then there's me. <laughs> And then there's me, hmm, right? Now, here's the way it grew up, and I'm not going to tell you which one's which, but I had one sister that was, like, super aggressive, and she was moody, and, like, like there wasn't enough punishment to make her good. No, listen, I grew up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My parents about beat some of my sisters to death, and they still didn't change. Is that fact? 
So my, I got one sister who, who, who just chooses to live in an alternate universe. She shows up when she wants to show up. She blows out when she wants to blow out. She ignores things that are in front of her that she doesn't want to deal with. She's just, she's, she's just like the wind. She like the wind. <sighs> right? And then there's Wendy, Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. The Parents' Choice Award goes to that sister, right? Made good grades, did what she was supposed to, loved God, loved people, right? She's nicer than me. I didn't make her, God did, right? And then there was me, like most likely to go to jail in our family. No, I wish I was making this up pre-Jesus like that, he's going to jail. Or he's going to die young. I never thought I would see 21. I had the James Dean thing. Man, live fast, die young. He who has the most toys wins. That literally was the way that I thought. Now, here's the thing. Once I got saved, I'm still weird in our family. Like, people don't know what to do with me. They're like, he's the preacher, but... I break all the preacher rules. For, for real. Like, I do a lot of things that preachers aren't supposed to. But I'm like, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm not really interested in being a preacher. I never really was. I'm interested in being a son. Now, if you want to follow the journey that I'm on, come on. We're going to have a good time. We will be on the party bus to heaven. We will be the people that show up to heaven, and they're like, it's on now. Here they come. You know what I'm saying? Like, because here's the thing. I'm not going to be yoked to a bunch of stuff that, that you think is a good idea, but God didn't. I got three people that might have sort of been okay with that. Paul said, don't let anybody yoke you to anything else. Why? Because, man, I'm a son of God. I can live in peace and freedom. And knowing that my sonship is by birth and not by worth, I can't do anything to make God love me anymore. And honestly, I can't do anything to make God love me any less. But because He loves me that way, I choose to live a certain kind of lifestyle that makes my dad happy because he is the father that adopted me. And he didn't adopt me because I was perfect. He adopted me because I was mildly jacked up. And I needed a dad. I don't know how to do this by myself. I'm never going to be good enough to be a pastor. Not because you see it, but because I do. How many of y'all that have kids are good enough to be parents? How many times? Literally, when I left the hospital, I was like, we, we probably need to get out of here pretty quick because they're going to figure out we don't have any business with this kid. William Leslie, you're going to know exactly what we're talking about in just a few months. You're going to be like, they gave us a kid. They're letting us leave with it. <laughs> Suckers! Right? Because we don't know. And then every time you think that you know what's going on, the rules of engagement change. I can raise an elementary school kid, but when they become teenagers, I'm sending them back. Come on, because I don't know how to deal with that. God said this. He said, if you don't build your life on a firm foundation, every time the seasons change, you won't know how to deal with it. Because you're going to look to you to be the one that answers it, rather than looking at me to be the one that answers it. If you build your identity on you and on the things that you think are right, the way you think you should live your life, I'm going to make you a promise, your life will come crashing down. 
But when you go, you know what? I'm a son or daughter of God. I'm going to pull my shoulders back. I'm going to live a certain way, not because of a set of do's and don'ts of church, but because of a set of convictions that I have as a son or a daughter. And I'm also going to understand that if I screw up, it doesn't change the fact that I'm a son or daughter. The prodigal son looks at his dad and he says, man, I've got this improper view of my dad. And because of that, it changes the way that I saw my dad. But the second half of this says this, Matthew 15, 20 through 24 says, but when he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and kissed and embraced him. Man, you want to know how your dad feels, your heavenly father feels every time you come back home from your stupid? This is it. He said, man, I want to love you. I want to kiss you. I want to embrace you. You are still my son. You're still my daughter. I love you. Matter of fact, I love that when he started his way home, the father was already looking for him and ran out to meet him. You don't have to go far to meet God. He sets the bar so low. He's like, just take one step towards me and I'll run the rest of the way to you. He goes on and he says this, and the son said to him, um, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and his hand, uh, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I'm going to pause right there. He says, man, I want to cover you with my blessing. But, he, but then he said, I want to give you a ring. A ring was the way that they would stamp... Uh, things, uh, uh, orders within the family. You would, you would stamp it with your ring. But then I love this. He put shoes on his feet. And for a long time, I struggled with that. Until one time, uh, I stumbled across this and it said that the reason he had to put shoes on his feet is because only sons had shoes, not servants. Because you didn't want your servants to be able to run off. You gave your son free will. He said, son, you're back home now. And just because you wandered off doesn't make you less than. You're my son, you're my daughter. How many times do we feel like less than and we based our identity based on less than based on the times we wandered off from God? Rather than just going, I'm a son or a daughter. Look, I, I screwed it up. Anybody here ever wreck your parents' car? How many, how many of you when you wrecked it thought, they're going to kill me? Did they? No, because you're here. How many of y'all ever snuck out and got caught? Please don't raise your hand. And, and, and you're like, oh God, they're going to kill me. Any of y'all ever tried to hide drinking and come home and got caught? And nobody raising their hand. I didn't say don't raise your hand. You're like, what is this alcohol you speak of, Pastor? My kids are here. Now they chastised you. They corrected you. But you, you never stopped being a son or a daughter. The point of this is not, is not freedom to go live your life however you want to in sin and rebellion against God. That's not it. But it's freedom to go, my identity is not based in behaviors because then Christianity just becomes a bunch of behavior modification. I don't drink, don't chew, don't run around with women who do. I'm right. That's not it at all. That's why Jesus said, there will be people that come and go, hey, I prophesied in your name and I cast out demons in your name, which to me sounds pretty doggone spiritual, right? But then that he goes, but depart from me, I never knew you. What's he saying? He's like, hey, you knew how to do church things, you just didn't know me. You knew how to sound religious, you just didn't, you were never a son or a daughter. God is way more interested 
in you being a son or a daughter than he is in your performance. He goes on and he says this. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this was my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they celebrated. See, what happens is you can only have your identity in your father and you can only have your identity restored by your father. I, I sent my son to, um, to Colorado on this men's thing uh, two years ago and, and they had this ring and he wears it a lot. And um, a buddy of mine called and said, hey, your son's looking at one of these rings and I really want, to, I really want him to have one. But the only way that, that our ministry will give it to him is if we identify him as a man. And I was like, I mean, the dude's like 23. Like, he can vote, buy a gun, buy liquor, and do all three at one time if he, if he chose to, right? Like, but then I thought, well, does that make him a man? Really started me down a journey of going, hey, a lot of people told us to be men but never told us what that was. And if they did, half the time they were wrong. Men don't cry. Really? Because, like, when my granddad got old, he cried over everything. And that dude would kill you, bury you in the backyard, and wait on the police to get there. Like, that dude was a man. Like, like what makes that? And so, so I told him, I said, man, I would love to do that. And I said, but, but let, let's, I want to go ahead and do it right now. I want him to know that I see him as a man. So they drove him up to the Continental Divide in the mountains. And we FaceTimed and we prayed over him. And we set him forth as a man. Then I said, hey, I'm going to talk to you over the next couple of years about everything that that looks like because there's some things I was never taught. Not because my dad's here. He's a great dude, but he was never taught. So I want my son to go, hey, here's what being a man is. It's not about who you can beat up. It's not about how much you can drink. It's not about how, how jacked up your truck is. Or how fast your car goes. Or how hot your girlfriend is. Or how much money you make. Because here's the thing, that hot girl that you marry, you can get an accident on the way to your honeymoon, and she can be disfigured for life, and is it enough? Let me tell you something, money goes away like this. The, the Reverend Jimmy Buffett said, I've made enough money to buy Miami, but I away so fast. It was never meant to last, right? Yeah, Jimmy Buffett made it into today's service. Because here's the reality. Your identity can only be restored and given to you by your Heavenly Father. And some of us never slow down enough to figure out what we're building our life on and allow God to assign us an identity. Not based on what we do for a living, not based on how much money we make or where we live or what we do. Matter of fact, Ephesians 1.13, and I'll come to close with this. Said in Him you also, when... You heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him and were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe. I believe that if your identity is in the wrong thing, your Father is waiting on you to return home. This is not only a salvation call, this is an identity call. Does this make sense? Like, I think it's time, and, and I don't know that it's like a Sunday morning question. I think it's like one of those questions like, like that, that gets, I'm going to go real southern, that just kind of gets in your crawl. Where you're like, 
what does it mean to be a man? Like for men, I think this is important because whether you raise a son or a daughter, you need to be identified, you need to be able to identify sonship and manhood and and regardless, women, of whether you raise a daughter or a son, you need to be able to show them what real identity in a woman looks like. What daughtership looks like to a king. Why, why do I think that, that, that people should save themselves for marriage? Because here's the thing. I think that, that you are such a precious gift. You should only be shared with the elect, not the many. Why do, we, why do we do certain things, man? Because we're so special. It, not because of us. Because of Him. So as we get ready to pray, I just, I guess really this is a two-question Sunday. I think most Sundays are two questions, but just wonder this. I wonder, first of all, if you if you're here, you're watching online, and you're just like, man, I feel like I feel like the prodigal son. I, I kind of treated God like He's dead, and I I took the promises of God and I ran the wrong direction with them. Man, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to do anything else. But if you're here and you're like, man, that's that's really me. I'm I am the definition of a prodigal. Will you just slip your hand up? I, I just want to pray with you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Anybody else? Can we, just, can we just pray with these folks first? Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm the prodigal son. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Today I ask that you forgive me and make me a son or daughter again. Thank you for forgiving me and making me right with you. If you're here and maybe you've been building your identity on all the wrong things, I just want to pray over you. Dear Heavenly Father, for every person here who has not had their identity based on you, Father, I just ask that you speak into their life, God, that you begin to let them through Scripture understand what a real woman a real man of God looks like. God, that they understand how to, how to raise their kids. God, how to live their lives. How to work their jobs in a way that looks and fits as being a son or daughter of the Most High God. Father, that we identify in them that you created them with a purpose and a destiny. So, Father, right now, let them walk out that purpose and destiny, God. To live and to honor you with it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give these folks a round of applause? Biggest decision you'll ever make. Thank you for being part of our Thrive Tribe. If you want to partner with this ministry and what the Lord is doing here at Thrive, visit thrivechurchonline.com and click on the Give tab. Help us reach more people just like you by rating and subscribing to this podcast. You don't want to miss what's coming next.